CD 8. The wind soughed across the moors on the edge of Lancre and hissed through the heather. Around some old mounds half buried in brambles, it shook the branches of a single thorn tree and shredded the curling smoke that drifted up through the roots. There was a single scream. Down below, the Knack Mac Fiegel were doing their best, but strength is not the same as weight and mass, and even with Pixies hanging onto every limb and Big Aggie herself sitting on Verence's chest, he was still hard to control. I think maybe the drink was a wee bitty too trackle, said Big Aggie's man, looking down at Verence's bloodshot eyes and foaming mouth. I'm saying maybe it was wrong just giving him fifty times more than we took. There's no use to it. Big Aggie shrugged. In the far corner of the barrow, half a dozen pixies backed out of the hole they'd hacked into the next chamber, dragging a sword. For bronze, it was quite well preserved. The old chieftains of Lancre reckoned to be buried with their weapons in order to fight their enemies in the next world. And since you didn't become a chieftain of ancient Lancre without sending a great many enemies into the next world, they liked to take weapons that could be relied upon to last. Under the direction of the old pixie, they manoeuvred it within reach of Verence's flailing hand. Ah, yes, great, said Big Aggie's man. Yin, tan, tetra. The feagle leapt away in every direction. Verence rose almost vertically, bounced off the roof, grabbed the sword, hacked madly until he'd cut a hole through to the outside world and escaped into the night. The pixies, clustered around the walls of the barrow, turned their eyes to their kelder. Big Aggie nodded. Big Aggie says ye'd best see him come to nae harm, said the old pixie. A thousand small but very sharp weapons waved in the smoky air. Hoodens! Kill him! Nurk McFiegel! A few seconds later, the chamber was empty. Nanny hurried across the castle's main hall, burdened with stakes, and stopped dead. What the hell's that thing? she said. Takes up a whole wall. Oh, that was the old Count's pride and joy, said Igor. He wasn't very modern, he always said, but the century of the fruit bat had its compensations. Sometimes he'd play with it for hours on end. It was an organ, or possibly what an organ hoped to be when it grew up, because it dominated the huge room. A music lover to the core, Nanny couldn't help trotting over to inspect it. It was black, its pipes framed and enclosed in intricate ebony fretwork, with the stops and keyboards made of dead elephant. How does it work? she said. Water power, said Igor proudly. There's an underground river. The master had this made specially to his own design. Nanny ran her fingers over a brass plate screwed above the keyboard. It read, Listen to the children of tonight. What wonderful music they make. Manufactured by Bergholt Stutley Johnson, Ark Morpork. It's a Johnson, she breathed. I haven't got my hands on a Johnson for ages. She looked closer. What's this? Scream 1, Thunderclap 14, Wolf Howl 5. There's a whole set of stops just marked creaky floors. Can't you play music on this thing? Oh, yes, but the old master was more interested in effects. There was still a dust-covered sheet of music on the stand, which someone had been filling in carefully with many crossings out. Return of the Bride of the Revenge of the Son of Count Magpier, Nanny said aloud, noting that From Twenty Thousand Fathoms, question mark, had been written in subsequently and then crossed out. Sonata for Thunderstorm, Trapdoors and Young Woman in Skimpy Clothing. 
"'Bit of an artist, too, then, your old master.' "'In a special way,' said Igor wistfully. "'Nanny stepped back. "'Magrat's going to be safe, isn't she?' she said, picking up the stakes again. "'It's a mob-proof door,' said Igor. "'And Scraps is 938's Rottweiler. "'Which parts, as a matter of interest? Two legs, one ear, lots of tubes and lower jaw,' said Igor promptly as they hurried off again. "'Yes, but he's got a spaniel brain,' said Nanny. "'It's in the bone,' said Igor. "'He holds people in his jaws and beats them senseless with his tails. "'He wags people to death. "'Sometimes he drowns them in dribble,' said Igor. "'The rooftops of escrow loomed out of the darkness as the vampires drifted lower. "'A few windows were glowing with candlelight when Agnes's feet touched the ground.' Vlad dropped down beside her. "'Of course, you can't see it at its best in this weather,' he said. "'Some quite good architecture in the town square, and a very fine town hall. Father paid for the clock.' "'Really? And the bell tower, naturally. Local labour, of course.' "'Vampires have a lot of cash, do they?' said Agnes. The town looked quite large, and pretty much like the country towns on the plains, save for a certain amount of gingerbread carving on the eaves.' "'Well, the family has always owned land,' said Vlad, ignoring the sarcasm. "'The money mounts up, you know, over the centuries, "'and obviously we've not enjoyed a particularly active social life.' "'Or spent much on food,' said Agnes. "'Yes, yes, very good.' A bell started to toll somewhere above them. "'Now you'll see,' said Vlad, "'and you'll understand.' Granny Weatherwax opened her eyes. There were flames roaring right in front of her. Oh, she said. So be it, then. Ah, uh, feeling better, are we? said Oates. Her head spun round. Then she looked down at the steam rising from her dress. Oates ducked between the branches of two firs and threw another armful of dead wood on the flames. It hissed and spluttered. How long was I resting? said Granny. About, uh, hmm, half an hour, I'd say. Red light and black shadows danced among the trees. The rain had turned to sleet, but it was flashing into steam overhead. "'You did well to get a fire going in this murk,' said Granny. "'I, um, I thank Om for it,' said Oates. "'Very kind of him, I'm sure, but we've got to get on,' Granny tried to stand up. "'Not far now. All downhill.' "'The mule uh, ran away,' said Oates. "'We got feet, haven't we? I feel better for the, um, the rest. The fire's put a bit of life into me.' "'It's too dark and, and far too wet. Wait until morning.' Granny pulled herself up. "'No, find a stick or something I can lean on. Go on.' "'Well, there's a, there's a hazel grove just along the slope, but just the thing, a good bit of hazel. "'Well, don't just stand there. I'm feeling better every minute. Off you go.' He disappeared into the dripping shadows. Granny flapped her skirts in front of the blaze to circulate some warm air, and something small and white flew up from the ashes, dancing in the fire and sleet. She picked it up from the moss where it had landed. It was a piece of thin paper, the charred corner of a page. She could just make out in the red light the words Of Om, aid unto ossery smote. The paper was attached to a burnt strip of leather binding. She regarded it for a while and then dropped it carefully into the flames as the sound of crackling twigs indicated Oates's return. "'Can you even find the way in all this?' he said, handing her a long hazel pole. "'Yes!' "'You go on one side of me, and I've got this staff. "'Then it's just a walk in the woods, eh?' 
You don't look better. Young man, if we're going to wait for me to look interesting, we'll be here for years. She raised a hand, and the wowhawk flew down out of the shadows. Good thing you were able to get a fire going all the same, she said without turning round. I have always found that if I put my trust in Om, a way will be found, said Oates, hurrying after her. I reckon Om helps those who help themselves, said Granny. Through the town of Escrow, the windows glowed as lamps were lit, and there was the sound of doors being unbolted. Over all, the bell went on ringing out through the fog. Normally, we congregate in the town square, said Vlad. It's the middle of the night, said Agnes. Yes, but it doesn't happen very often, and our covenant says never more than twice in a month, said Vlad. Do you see how prosperous this place is? People are safe in escrow. They've seen reason. No shutters on the windows, do you see? They don't have to bar their windows or hide in the cellar, which I have to admit is what people do in the less well-regulated areas of our country. They exchanged fear for security. They... He stumbled and steadied himself against a wall. Then he rubbed his forehead. Sorry, I, I felt a little strange. What was I saying? How should I know? snapped Agnes. You were talking about how happy everyone is because the vampires visit or something. Oh, yes, yes. Because of cooperation, not enmity. Because... He pulled a handkerchief from his pocket and wiped his face. Because... Well, you'll see. Is it... Is it rather cold here? Just clammy, said Agnes. Let's get to the square, Vlad muttered. I'm sure I shall feel better. It was just ahead. Torches had been lit. People had congregated there, most of them with blankets across their shoulders or a coat over their nightclothes, standing around in aimless groups like people who'd heard the fire alarm but hadn't seen the smoke. One or two of them caught sight of Vlad, and there was a certain amount of coughing and shuffling. Other vampires were descending through the mist. The Count landed gently and nodded to Agnes. Ah, Miss Knit, he said vaguely. Are we all here, Vlad? The bell stopped. A moment later, Lacrimosa descended. You've still got her, she said to Vlad, raising her eyebrows. Oh, well. I will just have a brief chat to the mayor, said the Count. He appreciates being kept informed. Agnes watched him walk towards a small dumpy man who, despite getting out of bed in the middle of the wet night, seemed to have had the foresight to put on a gold chain of office. She noticed the vampires taking up positions in a line in front of the bell tower, about four or five feet apart. They joked and called out to one another, except for Lacrimosa, who was glaring directly at her. The Count was deep in conversation with the mayor, who was staring down at his feet. Now, across the square, the people were beginning to form lines. A couple of small children pulled away from their parents' hands and chased one another up and down the lines of people laughing. And the suspicion bloomed slowly in Agnes like a great black red-edged rose. Vlad must have felt her body stiffen because his grip tightened on her arm. I know what you're thinking, he began. You don't know what I'm thinking, but I'll tell you what I'm thinking, she said, trying to keep the tremble out of her voice. You're... Listen, it could be so much worse. It used to be so much worse. The Count bustled. "'Good news,' he said. Three children have just turned twelve. He smiled at Agnes. "'We have a little ceremony before the main lottery. A rite of passage, as it were. I think they look forward to it, to tell you the truth.' "'He's watching to see how you react,' 
said Perdita. Vlad is just stupid, and Lacrimosa would weave your hair into a face flannel if she had the chance. But this one will go for the throat if you so much as blink at the wrong time. So don't blink at the wrong time, thank you, because even figments of the imagination want to live. But Agnes felt the terror rising around her. And it was wrong, the wrong kind of terror, a numbing, cold, sick feeling that froze her where she stood. She had to do something, do anything, break its horrible grip. It was Vlad who spoke. "'It's nothing dramatic,' he said quickly. "'A little drop of blood. "'Father went to the school and explained all about citizenship.' "'How nice,' she croaked. "'Do they get a badge?' "'It must have been Perdita behind that. "'She couldn't imagine Agnes being so tasteless "'even in the cause of sarcasm.' "'Ah, no, but what a good idea,' said the Count, "'giving her another quick smile. "'Yes, perhaps a badge or a small plaque, "'something to be treasured in later life. Hm. I shall make a mental note of this. And so, let us begin. Ah, the mayor has assembled the dear children. And there was a shout somewhere at the back of the crowd, and for a moment Agnes caught sight of a man trying to press forward. The mayor nodded at a couple of the nearby men. They hurried back into the crowd. There was a scuffle in the shadows. She thought she heard a woman scream suddenly muffled. A door slammed. As the mayor turned back, he met Agnes's stare. She looked away, not wanting to see that expression. People were good at imagining hells, and some they occupied while they were alive. "'Shall we get on?' said the Count. "'Will you let go of my arm, Vlad?' said Agnes sweetly. "'They're just waiting for you to react,' whispered Perdita. "'Oh,' said Agnes inside her head, "'so I should just stand here and watch everybody else? "'I just pointed out what's been done to them. "'They're like pigs queuing for Hogswatch.' "'I think they saw reason,' said Agnes. "'Ah, oh, well, just wipe that smile off Lacrimosa's face. "'That's all I ask.' "'They could move very fast. "'Even a scream wouldn't work. "'She might be able to get in one good wallop, and that would be it. "'And perhaps she'd wake up as a vampire "'and not know the difference between good and evil. "'But that wasn't the point. "'The point was here and now, because here and now she did. "'She could see every drop of moisture hanging in the air.' "'smell the wood smoke from damped-down fires, "'hear the rats in the thatch of the houses. "'Her senses were working overtime "'to make the most of the last few seconds. "'I don't see why,' Lacrimosa's voice cut through the mist like a saw. "'Agnes blinked. "'The girl had reached her father and was glaring at him. "'Why do you always start?' she demanded. "'Lacrimosa, what has got into you? "'I am the head of the clan.' "'Oh, really? Forever?' The Count looked astonished. Well, yes, of course. So we'll always be pushed around by you, forever. We'll just be your children, forever. My dear, what do you think you... And don't try that voice on me, that only works on the meat. So I'll be sent to my room for being disobedient, forever. We did let you have your own rack. Uh, yes, and for that I have to nod and smile and be nice with meat. "'Don't you dare talk to your father like that!' screamed the Countess. "'And don't talk about Agnes like that!' snarled Vlad. "'Did I use the word Agnes? Did I refer to her in any way?' said Lacrimosa coldly. "'I don't believe I did. I wouldn't dream of mentioning her at all.' "'I can't be having with this arguing!' shouted the Count. "'That's it, isn't it?' said Lacrimosa. "'We don't argue. We just do what you say forever.' "'We agreed. No, you agreed, and no one disagreed with you. "'Vlad was right. 
Indeed, said the Count, turning to his son. Right about what, pray? Vlad's mouth opened and shut once or twice as he hastily assembled a coherent sentence. I may have mentioned that the whole Lancre business might be considered unwise. Oh, said the Countess, you know so much about wisdom all of a sudden, and you're barely two hundred. Unwise, said the Count. I'd say stupid, said Lacrimosa. Little badges, gifts. We don't give anything. We're vampires. We take what we want, like this. She reached out, grabbed a man standing near her, and turned mouth open and hair flying, and stopped, as if she'd been frozen. Then she buckled, one hand reaching for her throat, and glared at her father. What did you do? she gasped. My throat feels... You... you did something! The Count rubbed his forehead and pinched the bridge of his nose. Lackey! And don't call me that! You know how I hate that! There was a brief scream from one of the lesser vampires behind them. Agnes couldn't remember his name. It was probably Fenrir or Maledictor or something. But she did recall that he preferred to be known as Gerald. He sagged to his knees, clawing at his throat. None of the other vampires looked very happy either. A couple of them were kneeling and groaning to the bewilderment of the citizens. "'I don't feel very well,' said the Countess, swaying slightly. "'I did say I didn't think wine was a good idea.' The Count turned and stared at Agnes. She took a step back. "'It's you, isn't it?' he said. "'Of course it is,' moaned Lacrimosa. "'You know that old woman put herself somewhere, "'and she must have known Vlad was soppy on that lump.' "'She's not in here, is she?' said Perdita. "'Don't you know?' Agnes thought, backing away again. "'Well, I don't think she is. "'But is it me doing the thinking?' Look, she's hidden herself in that priest. We know it. No, we don't. You just thought that would be a smart thing for her to do because everyone would think she's hiding in the baby. Why don't you just crawl back into your coffin and rot, you slimy little maggot, Agnes said. It wasn't that good, but impromptu insults are seldom well crafted. Lacrimosa leapt at her, but something else was wrong. Instead of gliding through the air like velvet death... She lurched like a bird with a broken wing, but fury let her rear up in front of Agnes, one claw out to scratch. Agnes hit her as hard as she could, and felt Perdita get behind the blow as well. It shouldn't have been possible for it to connect. The girl was quick enough to run around Agnes three times before it could, but it did. The people of Escrow watched a vampire stagger back, bleeding. The mayor raised his head. Agnes went into a crouch, fists raised. I don't know where Granny Weatherwax went, she said. Maybe she is in here with me, eh? A flash of mad inspiration struck her, and she added, in Granny's sharp tones, And if you strike me down again, I'll bite my way up through your boots. A nice try, Miss Knit, said the Count, striding towards her, but I don't think so. He stopped, clutching at the gold chain that was suddenly around his neck. Behind him, the mare hauled on it with all his weight, forcing the vampire to the ground. The citizens looked at one another and all moved at once. Vampires rose into the air trying to gain height, kicking at clutching hands. Torches were snatched from walls. The night was suddenly full of screams. Agnes looked up at Vlad, who was staring in horror. Lacrimosa was surrounded by a closing ring of people. "'You'd better run,' she said, "'or they'll...' He turned and lunged, and the last thing she saw was teeth. The track downhill was worse than the climb. 
Springs had erupted in every hollow, and every path was a rivulet. As Granny and Oates lurched from mud slough to bog, Oates reflected on the story in the Book of Om, the story, really, about the prophet Bruther and his journey with Om across the burning desert which had ended up changing Omnianism forever. It had replaced swords with sermons, which at least caused fewer deaths, except in the case of the really very long ones, and had broken the church into a thousand pieces, which had then started arguing with one another, and finally turned out Oates, who argued with himself. Oates wondered how far across the desert Bruther would have got if he'd been trying to support Granny Weatherwax. There was something unbending about her, something hard as rock. By about halfway, the blessed prophet might, he felt guiltily, have yielded to the temptation to, well, at least say something unpleasant or give a meaningful sigh. The old woman had got very crotchety since being warmed up. She seemed to have something on her mind. The rain had stopped, but the wind was sharp, and there were still occasional stinging bursts of hail. "'Won't be long now,' he panted. "'You don't know that,' said Granny, splashing through black peaty mud. "'No, uh, you're absolutely right,' said Oates. "'I was just saying that to be cheerful.' "'Hasn't worked,' said Granny. "'Mistress Weatherwax, would you like me to leave you here?' said Oates. Granny sniffed. "'Wouldn't worry me,' she said. "'Would you like me to?' said Oates. "'It's not my mountain,' said Granny. "'I wouldn't be one to tell people where they should be.' "'I'll go if you want me to,' said Oates. "'I never asked you to come,' said Granny simply. "'You'd be dead if I hadn't. "'That's no business of yours.' "'My God, Mistress Weatherwax, you try me sorely.' Your God, Mr. Oates, tries everyone. That's what gods generally does, and that's why I don't truck with them. And they lays down rules all the time. There have to be rules, Mistress Weatherwax. And what's the first one that your Om requires, then? That believers should worship no other god but Om, said Oates promptly. Oh, yes, that's God's for you, very self-centred as a rule. I think it was to get people's attention, said Oates, there are many commandments about dealing well with other people, if that's what you're getting at. Really? And suppose someone doesn't want to believe in Om and tries to live properly. According to the prophet Bruther, to live properly um, is to believe in Om. Oh, ho, ho, that's clever. He gets you coming and going, said Granny. It took a good thinker to come up with that. Well done. What other clever things did he say? He doesn't say things to be... Clever, said Oates hotly, but since you ask, he said in his letter to the Simonites that it is through other people that we truly become people. Good, he got that one right, and he said that we should take light into dark places. Granny didn't say anything. I thought I'd mention that, said Oates, because when you were, you know, kneeling back in the forge, you said something very similar. Granny stopped so suddenly that Oates nearly fell over. I did what? You were mumbling, and I was talking in my sleep. Yes, and you said something about darkness being where the light needs to be, which I remember because in the Book of Om... You listened? No, I wasn't listening, but I, I couldn't help hearing, could I? And you sounded as if you were having an argument with someone. Can you remember everything I said? I think so. Granny staggered on a little and stopped in a puddle of black water that began to rise over her boots. "'Can you forget?' she said. "'Pardon?' 
You wouldn't be so unkind as to pass on to anyone else the ramblings of a poor old woman who was probably off her head, would you? said Granny slowly. Oates thought for a moment. What, um, ramblings were these, Mistress Weatherwax? Granny seemed to sag with relief. Ah, good thing you asked, really, being as there weren't any. Black bubbles arose from the bog around Granny Weatherwax as the two of them watched each other. Some sort of truce had been declared. I wonder, young man, if you would be so good as to pull me out. This took some time, and involved a branch from a nearby tree, and despite Oates's best efforts, Granny's first foot came out of its boot. And once one boot has said goodbye in a peat bog, the other one is bound to follow out of fraternal solidarity. Granny ended up on what was comparatively dry and comparatively land, wearing a pair of the heaviest-looking socks Oates had ever seen. They looked as if they could shrug off a hammer blow. They was good boots, said Granny, looking at the bubbles. Oh, well, let's get on. She staggered a little as she set off, but to Oates's admiration managed to stay upright. He was beginning to form yet another opinion of the old woman, who caused a new opinion to arise about once every half hour, and it was this. She needed someone to beat. If she didn't have someone to beat, she'd probably beat herself. Shame about your little book of words, she said when she was further down the track. There was a long pause before Oates replied. I can easily get another, he said levelly. Must be hard not having your book of words. It's only, um, paper. I shall ask the king to see about getting you another book of words. I wouldn't trouble him. Terrible thing to burn all them words, though. The, uh, worthwhile ones don't burn. You're not too stupid for all that you wear a funny hat, said Granny. I know when I'm being pushed, Mistress Weatherwax. Well done. They walked on in silence. A shower of hail bounced off Granny's pointy hat and Oates's wide brim. Then Granny said, It's no good you trying to make me believe in Om, though. Om, forbid that I should try, Mistress Weatherwax. I haven't even given you a pamphlet, have I? No, but you're trying to make me think, Ooh, what a nice young man his God must be something special if nice young men like him helps old ladies like me, aren't you? No. Really? Well, it's not working. People you can believe in sometimes, but not gods. And I'll tell you this, Mr. Oates, he sighed. Yes? She turned to face him, suddenly alive. It'd be as well for you if I didn't believe, she said, prodding him with a sharp finger. This om. Anyone seen him? It is said three thousand people witnessed his manifestation at the great temple when he made the covenant with the prophet Bruther and saved him from death by torture on the Iron Turtle but I bet that now they're arguing about what they actually saw, eh? Well, um, indeed, yes, there are, uh, many opinions. Right, right, that's people for you. Now, if I'd seen him, really there, really alive, it'd be in me like a fever. If I thought there was some god who really did care two hoots about people, who watched them like a father and cared for them like a mother... Well, you wouldn't catch me saying things like, Ooh, there are two sides to every question, and we must respect other people's beliefs. You wouldn't find me just being generally nice in the hope that it'll all turn out right in the end. Not if that flame was burning in me like an unforgiving sword. And I did say burning, Mr Oates, because that's what it'd be. 
You say that you people don't burn folk and sacrifice people anymore, but that's what true faith would mean, you see? Sacrificing your own life, one day at a time, to the flame, declaring the truth of it, working for it, breathing the soul of it. That's religion. Anything else is just, is just being nice and a way of keeping in touch with the neighbours. She relaxed slightly and went on in a quieter voice. Anyway, that's what I'd be if I really believed. And I don't think that's fashionable right now, because it seems that if you seize evil now, you have to wring your hands and say, Oh, dearie me, we must debate this. That's my two pennyworth, Mr Oates. You be happy to let things lie. Don't chase faith, because you'll never catch it. She added, almost as an aside, But perhaps you can live faithfully. Her teeth chattered as a gust of icy wind flapped her wet dress around her legs. You've got another book of holy words on you, she added. No, said Oates, still shocked. He thought, my God, if she ever finds a religion, what would come out of these mountains and sweep across the plains? My God, I just said, my God. A book of hymns, maybe, said Granny. No. A slim volume of prayers suitable for every occasion? No, Granny Weatherwax. Damn. Granny slowly collapsed backwards, folding up like an empty dress. He rushed forward and caught her before she landed in the mud. One thin white hand gripped his wrist so hard that he yelped. Then she relaxed and sagged in his grasp. Something made Oates look up. A hooded figure sat on a white horse a little way away, outlined in the faintest blue fire. Go away, he screamed. You be gone right now, or... or... He lowered the body onto some tufts of grass, grabbed a handful of mud and flung it into the gloom. He ran after it, punching wildly at the shape that was suddenly no more than shadows and curling mist. He dashed back, picked up Granny Weatherwax, slung her over his shoulder, and ran on downhill. The mist behind him formed a shape on a white horse. Death shook his head. It wasn't even as if I said anything, he said. Waves of black heat broke over Agnes, and then there was a pit and a fall into hot, suffocating darkness. She felt the desire. It was tugging her forward like a current. Well, she thought dreamily, at least I'll lose some weight. Yes, said Perdita, but all the eyeliner you'll have to wear must add a few pounds. The hunger filled her now, accelerating her, and there was light behind her shining past her. She felt the fall gradually slow, as if she'd hit invisible feathers, and then the world spun, and she was rising again, moving up faster than an eagle stoops, towards an expanding circle of cold white. It couldn't possibly be words that she heard. There was no sound but a faint rushing noise. But it was the shadow of words, the effect they leave in the mind after they have been said, and she felt her own voice rushing in to fill the shape that had appeared there. I can't be having with this. Light exploded and someone was about to hammer a stake through her heart. she said, knocking the hand away. She spluttered for a moment, and then spat the lemon out of her mouth. Hey, stop that! She tried again, this time with all the authority she could muster. What the heck are you doing? Do I look like a vampire? The man with the stake and mallet hesitated, and then tapped a finger to the side of his neck. Agnes reached to hers and found two raised wheels. He must have missed, she said, pushing the stake away and sitting up. Who took me stocking off? Who took off me left stocking? Is that boiling vinegar I can smell? What are all these poppy seeds doing, poor damn me bra? 
If it wasn't a woman who took me stocking off, there's going to be some serious trouble, I can tell you. The crowd around the table looked at one another, suddenly uncertain in the face of her rage. Agnes glanced up as something brushed her ear. Hanging over her were stars and crosses and circles and more complex designs she recognised as religious symbols. She'd never felt inclined to believe in religion, but she knew what it looked like. And this is just a very tasteless display, she said. She doesn't act like a vampire, said a man. She doesn't look like one. And she did fight the others. We saw that one bite her, said a woman. Bad aim in poor light, said Agnes, knowing that it wasn't. There was a hunger welling up. It was not like the black urge she'd felt in the dark, but sharp and urgent all the same. She had to give in to it. I'd kill for a cup of tea, she added. That seemed to clinch it. Tea wasn't the liquid usually associated with vampires. And for goodness sake, let me shake some of these poppy seeds out, she went on, adjusting her bosom. Oh, I feel like a wholemeal loaf. They moved aside as she swung her legs off the table, which now meant that she could see the vampire lying on the floor. She nearly thought of it as the other vampire. It was a man wearing a long frock coat and a fancy waistcoat, both covered in mud and blood. There was a stake through his heart. Further identification, though, would have to await finding where they'd put his head. "'I see you got one, then,' she said, trying not to be sick. "'Got two, said the man with the hammer. "'Set fire to the other one. "'They'd killed the mayor and Mr. Vlack.' "'You mean the rest got away?' said Agnes. "'Yes, they're still strong, but they can't fly much.' Agnes indicated the headless vampire. "'Er, is that one Vlad?' she said. "'Which one was he?' The one that bit me, tried to bite me, she corrected herself. We can check. Piotr, show her the head. A young man obediently went to the fireplace, pulled on a glove, lifted the lid of a big saucepan, and held up a head by its hair. That's not Vlad, said Agnes, swallowing. No, said Perdita, Vlad was taller. They'll be heading back to their castle, said Piotr, on foot. You should see them trying to fly. It's like watching chickens panicking. The castle, said Agnes. They'll have to make it before cock crow, said Piotr with some satisfaction. And they can't cut through the woods because of the werewolves. What? I thought werewolves and vampires would get along fine, said Agnes. Oh, maybe it looks like that, said Piotr. But they're watching one another all the time to see who's going to be the first to blink. He looked around the room. We don't mind the werewolves, he went on, to general agreement. They leave us alone most of the time because we don't run fast enough to be interesting. He looked Agnes up and down. What was it you did to the vampires? he said. Me? I didn't do... I don't know, said Agnes. They couldn't even bite us properly. And they were squabbling like kids when they left, said the man with the mallet. You've got a pointy hat, said Piotr. Did you put a spell on them? Ah, oh, I don't know, I really don't. And then natural honesty met witchcraft. One aspect of witchcraft is the craftiness, and it's seldom unwise to take the credit for unexplained but fortuitous events. I may have done, she added. Well, we're going after them, said Piotr. Won't they have got well away? We can cut through the woods. Blood tinted the rain that ran off the wound on Jason Ogg's shoulder. He dabbed it with a cloth. Reckon I'll be hammering left-handed for a week or two, he said, wincing. They've got very good fields of fire, said Sean, who had taken refuge behind the beer barrel used so recently to wet the baby's head. 
I mean, it's a castle. A frontal attack simply won't work. He sighed and shielded his guttering candle to keep the wind from blowing it out. They'd tried a frontal attack, nevertheless, and the only reason no one had been killed was that the drink seems to be flowing freely within the keep. As it was, one or two people would be limping for a while. Then they'd tried what Jason persisted in referring to as a battle attack, but there were arrow slots even over the kitchens. One man creeping up to the walls very slowly, a sidle attack, as Sean had thought of it, had worked. But since all the doors were very solidly barred, this had just meant that he'd stood there feeling like a fool. He was trying to find some help in the ancient military journals of General Tacticus, whose intelligent campaigning had been so successful that he'd lent his very name to the detailed prosecution of martial endeavour, and had actually found a section headed What to do if one army occupies a well-fortified and superior ground, and the other does not. But since the first sentence read, Endeavour to be the one inside, he'd rather lost heart. The rest of the Lancre militia cowered behind buttresses and upturned carts waiting for him to lead them. There was a respectful clang as Big Jim Beef, who was acting as cover for two other part-time soldiers, saluted his commander. "'I reckon,' he ventured, "'that if we got big fires going in front of the doors, we could smoke them out.' "'Good idea,' said Jason. "'That's the king's door,' Sean protested. "'He's already been a bit sharp with me for not cleaning the privy pit this week.' "'He can, uh, he can send Mum the bill.' "'That's seditious talk, Jason. I could have you arrested. I could arrest? Mum would have something to say about you talking like that.' "'Where is the king, anyway?' said Daranog, "'sitting back and letting Mum sort everything out while we all get shot at.' "'You know he's got a weak chest,' said Sean. "'He does very well, considering he—' He stopped as a sound rolled out across the countryside. It had a horse— primal quality, the sound of an animal who is in pain but also intends to pass it on as soon as possible. The men looked around nervously. Verence came thundering through the gates. Sean recognised him only by the embroidery of his nightshirt and his fluffy slippers. He held a long sword over his head in both hands and was running straight for the door of the keep, trailing a scream behind him. The sword struck the wood. Sean heard the whole door shudder. "'He's gone mad!' shouted Darren. Let's grab the poor creature before he gets shot. A couple of them scurried across to the struggling king, who was standing horizontally on the door in an effort to get the sword out. Now see here, you magic... Ah! Ek, ek, take a fistful or heed. Darren staggered back, clutching at his face. Little shapes swarmed across the courtyard after the king, like some kind of plague. Gibbons, eh, fickle! Neck, mac, fickle! There was another scream, just as Jason, trying to restrain his monarch's enthusiasm, found that while the touch of a monarch may indeed cure certain scalp conditions, the scalp of a king itself is capable of spreading someone's nose into an interesting flat shape. Arrows thudded into the ground around them. Sean grabbed Big Jim. They're all going to get shot, drink or not, he shouted above the din. You come with me. What are we going to do? Clean the privies. The troll scuttled after him as he edged his way around the keep to where the gong tower loomed against the night in all its odoriferous splendour. It was the bane of Sean's life, all the keep's garderobes discharged into it. One of his jobs was to clean it out and take the contents to the pits in the gardens where Verence's efforts at composting were gradually turning them into, well, Lancre. The role of the lower intestine in the efforts to build a better nation is one that is often neglected by historians. 
but now that the castle was a lot busier than it used to be, his weekly efforts with shovel and wheelbarrow weren't the peaceful and solitary interludes they had been. Of course, he'd let the job sort of pile up in the last few weeks, but did they expect him to do everything? He waved Big Jim towards the door at the bottom of the tower. Fortunately, trolls have not much interest in organic odours, although they can easily distinguish types of limestone by smell. "'I want you to open it when I say,' he said, tearing a strip off his shirt and wrapping it round an arrow. He searched his pockets for a match. "'And when you've opened the door,' he went on as the cloth caught, "'I want you to run away very, very fast. Right? OK. Open the door!' Big Jim pulled the handle. It was a very faint whoosh as the door swung back. "'Run!' Sean shouted. He drew back the bowstring and fired through the doorway. The flaming arrow vanished into the noisome darkness. There was a pause of a few heartbeats. Then the tower exploded. It happened quite slowly. The green-blue light mushroomed up from story to story in an almost leisurely way, blowing out stones at every level to give the tower a nice sparkling effect. The roofing leads opened up like a daisy. A faint flame speared the clouds. Then time, sound and motion came back with a thump. After a few seconds, the main doors burst open and the soldiers ran out. The first one was smacked between the eyes by a ballistic king. Sean had just started to run back to the fight when someone landed on his shoulders, bearing him to the ground. "'Well, well, well, one of the toy soldiers,' sneered Corporal Svitz, leaping up and drawing his sword. As he raised it, Sean rolled over and struck upwards with the Lancrastian peacetime army knife. He might have had time to select the device for dissecting paradoxes, or the appliance for detecting small grains of hope, or the spiral thing for ascertaining the reality of being, but as it happened, it was the instrument for ending arguments very quickly that won the day. Presently there came a short shower of soft rain. Well, certainly a shower. Definitely soft, anyway. Agnes hadn't seen a mob like this before. Mobs, in her limited experience, were noisy. This one was silent. Most of the town was in it, and to Agnes's surprise, they'd brought along many of the children. It didn't surprise Perdita. They're going to kill the vampires, she said, and the children will watch. Good, thought Agnes. That's exactly right. Perdita was horrified. It'll give them nightmares. No, thought Agnes. It'll take the nightmares away. Sometimes everyone has to know the monster is dead, and remember, so that they can tell their grandchildren. They tried to turn people into things, she said aloud. Sorry, miss, said Piotr. Oh, just thinking aloud. And where has she got that other idea, Perdita wondered, the one where she told the villagers to send runners out to other towns to report on the night's work. That was unusually nasty of her. But she remembered the look of horror on the mayor's face, and later the blank engrossed expression when he was trying to throttle the count with his chain of office. The vampire had killed him with a blow that had almost broken him in half. She fingered the wounds on her neck. She was pretty certain vampires didn't miss, but Vlad must have done, because she clearly wasn't a vampire. She didn't even like the idea of rare steak. She'd tried to see if she could fly, when she thought people weren't looking, but she was as attractive to gravity as ever. The blood-sucking... Nah, never that, even if it was the ultimate diet programme. But she'd have liked the flying. It's changed you, said Perdita. How? "'Sorry, miss. You're sharper, edgier, nastier.' "'Maybe it's about time I was, then. "'Sorry, miss. Oh, nothing. Do you have a spare sickle?' 
the vampires travelled fast but erratically, appearing not so much to fly as to be promising entries in the World Long Jump Championships. We'll burn that ungrateful place to the ground, moaned the Countess, landing heavily. Afterwards, we'll burn that place to the ground, said Lacrimosa. This is what kindness leads to, father. I do hope you're paying attention. After you paid for that bell tower, too, said the Countess. The Count rubbed his throat where the links of the gold chain still showed as a red wheel. He wouldn't have believed that a human could be so strong. Yes, that might be a good course of action, he said. We would have to make sure the news got around, of course. You think this news won't get around, said Lacrimosa, landing beside him. It will be dawn soon, lackey, said the Count with heavy patience. Because of my training, you will regard it as rather a nuisance, not a reason to crumble into a little pile of dust. Reflect on this. That weatherwax woman did this, didn't she? said Lacrimosa, ignoring this call to count her blessings. She put herself somewhere, and she's attacking us. She can't be in the baby. I suppose she wasn't in your fat girl, Vlad. Plenty of room in there. Are you listening, brother? What? said Vlad, distantly, as they turned a corner in the road and saw the castle ahead of them. I saw you give in and bite her. So romantic. They still dragged her off, though. They'll have to use quite a long stake to hit any useful organ. She'd have put herself somewhere close, said the Count. It stands to reason. It must have been someone in the hall. One of the other witches, surely, said the Countess. I wonder. That stupid priest, said Lacrimosa. That would probably appeal to her, said the Count, but I suspect not. Not Igor, said his daughter. I wouldn't give that a moment's thought, said the Count. I still think it was Fat Agnes. She wasn't that fat, said Vlad sulkily. You'd have got tired of her in the end, and we'd have ended up with her always getting in the way, just like the others, said Lacrimosa. Traditionally, a keepsake is meant to be a lock of their hair, not their entire skull. She's different. Just because you can't read her mind, how interesting would that be? At least I did bite someone, said Vlad. What was wrong with you? Yes, you were acting very strangely lackey, said the Count, as they reached the drawbridge. If she was hiding in me, I'd know, snarled Lacrimosa. I wonder if you would, said the Count. She just has to find a weak spot. She's just a witch, father. Honestly, we're acting as though she's got some sort of terrible power. Perhaps it was Vlad's Agnes after all, said the Count. He gave his son a slightly longer stare than was strictly necessary. We're nearly at the castle, said the Countess, trying to rally them. We'll all feel better for an early day. Our best coffins got taken to Lancre, said Lacrimosa sullenly. Someone was so sure of themselves. Don't you adopt that tone with me, young woman, said the Count. I'm two hundred years old, said Lacrimosa. Pardon me, but I think I can choose any tone I like. That's no way to speak to your father. Really, mother, you might at least act as if you had two brain cells of your own. It's not your father's fault that everything's gone wrong. It has not. All gone wrong, my dear. This is just a temporary setback. It won't be when the escrow meet tell their friends. Come on, Vlad, stop moping and back me up here. If they tell them, what can they do? Oh, there will be a little bit of protesting, but then the survivors will see reason, said the Count. In the meantime, we have those witches waiting for us, with the baby.
and we've got to be polite to them, I suppose. Oh, I don't think we need to go that far, said the Count. Let them live, perhaps. Something bounced on the bridge beside them. He reached down to pick it up and dropped it with a yelp. But garlic shouldn't burn, he began. This is water from the holy turtle pond of Squint, said a voice above them. Blessed by the bishop himself in the year of the trout. There was a glugging noise and the sound of someone swallowing. That was a good year for beatitude, Igor went on, but you don't have to take my word for it. Duck, you suckers! The vampires dived for cover as the bottle, turning over and over, arced down from the battlements. It shattered on the bridge, and most of the contents hit a vampire, who burst into flames as if hit by burning oil. "'Now really, Cryptopher, there's no call for that sort of thing,' said the Count, as the blazing figure screamed and spun around in a circle. "'It's all in your mind, you know. Positive thinking, that's the ticket.' "'He's turning black,' said the Countess. "'Aren't you going to do something?' "'Oh, very well. Vlad, just kick him off the drawbridge, will you?' The luckless Cryptopher was pushed, squirming, into the chasm. "'You know that should not have happened,' said the Count, looking at his blistered fingers. "'He obviously was not truly one of us.' Far below there was a splash. The rest of the vampires scrambled for the cover of the gate arch as another bottle exploded near the Count. A drop splashed his leg, and he glanced down at the little wisp of smoke. "'Some error appears to have mm, crept in,' he said. "'I've never been one to put myself forward,' said the Countess, "'but I strongly suggest you find a new plan, dear, "'one which works, perhaps.' "'I have one already formed,' he said, "'tapping his knuckles against the huge oak gates. "'If everyone would perhaps stand aside.' "'Up on the battlement, Igor nudged Nanny Og, "'who lowered a decanter of water "'from the holy fountain of seven-handed sack and followed his pointing thumb. Igor had two thumbs on his right hand. If something was useful, he always said, you may as well add another. Clouds were suddenly spiralling with blue light flashing inside them. There's going to be a storm, he said. The top of my head's tingling. Run! They reached the tower just as a single bolt of lightning blew the doors apart and shattered the stones where they had been standing. Well, that was easy, said Nanny, lying full length on the floor. "'They can control the weather,' said Igor. "'Blast!' said Nanny. "'That's right, everyone knows that who knows anything about vampires.' "'Sorry, but they won't be able to try that on the inside doors. Come on!' "'What's that smell?' said Nanny, sniffing. "'Igor, your boots are on fire.' "'Damn! And these feet were nearly new six months ago,' said Igor, as Nanny's holy water sizzled over the smoking leather. "'It's my wire. It picks up stray currents.' "'What happened? Someone was hit by a falling buffalo?' said Nanny, as they hurried down the stairs. "'It was a tree,' said Igor, reproachfully. "'Mikhail Thwenith, up at the logging camp, the poor man. "'Practically nothing left, but his parents said I could have his feet to remember him by. "'That was strangely kind of them. "'Well, I gave him a spare arm after the axe accident a few years ago, "'and when old Mr Thwenith's liver gave out, "'I let him have the one Mr Kochak left to me "'for giving Mrs Kochak a new eye.' "'People round here don't so much die as pass on,' said Nanny. "'What goeth around cometh around,' said Igor. "'And your new plan is?' said Lacrimosa, stepping across the rubble. "'We'll kill everyone.' "'Not an original plan, I admit, but tried and tested,' said the Count. 
This met with general approval, but his daughter looked unsatisfied. What, everyone? All at once? Oh, you can save some for later if you must. The Countess clutched his arm. Oh, this does so remind me of our honeymoon, she said. Don't you remember those wonderful nights in Grudzvinsk? Oh, fresh morning of the world indeed, said the Count solemnly. Such romance, and we met such lovely people too. Do you remember Mr. and Mrs. Harker? Very fondly. I recall they lasted nearly all week. Now, listen, all of you. Holy symbols will not hurt us. Holy water is just water. Yes, I know, but Cryptopher just wasn't concentrating. Garlic is just another member of the Allium family. Do onions hurt us? Are we frightened of shallots? No. We've just got a bit tired, that's all. Melicia, call up the rest of the clan. We will have a little holiday from reason, and afterwards in the morning there will be room for a new world order. I can't be having with this at all. He rubbed his forehead. The Count prided himself on his mind and tended it carefully. But right now it felt exposed, as though someone was looking over his shoulder. He wasn't certain he was thinking right. She couldn't have got into his head, could she? He'd had hundreds of years of experience. There was no way some village witch could get past his defences. It stood to reason. His throat felt parched. At least he could obey the call of his nature. But this time it was an oddly disquieting one. Do we have any... Um, tea, he said. What is tea, said the Countess. It grow on a bush, I think, said the Count. How do you bite it, then? You, um, lower it into boiling water, don't you? The Count shook his head, trying to free himself of this demonic urge. While it's still alive, said Lacrimosa, brightening up. Sweet biscuits, mumbled the Count. "'I think you should try to get a grip, dear,' said the Countess. "'This tea,' said Lacrimosa, "'is it brown?' "'Yes,' whispered the Count. "'Because when we were in escrow, "'I was going to put the bite on one of them, "'and I had this horrible mental picture "'of a cup full of the wretched stuff,' said his daughter. "'The Count shook himself again. "'I don't know what's happening to me,' he said. "'So let's stick to what we do know, shall we? "'Obey our blood.' The second casualty in the battle for the castle was Vargo, a lank young man who actually became a vampire because he thought he'd meet interesting girls, or any girls at all, and had been told he looked good in black. And then he'd found that a vampire's interests always centre sooner or later on the next meal, and hitherto he'd never really thought of the neck as the most interesting organ a girl could have. Right now all he wanted to do was sleep, so as the vampires surged into the castle proper, he sauntered gently away in the direction of his cellar and nice comfortable coffin. Of course he was hungry, since all he'd got in escrow was a foot in the chest, but he had just enough sense of self-preservation to let the others get on with the hunting so that he could turn up later for the feast. His coffin was in the centre of the dim cellar, its lid lying carelessly on the floor beside it. He'd always been messy with the bedclothes, even as a human... Vargo climbed in, twisted and turned a few times to get comfortable on the pillow, then pulled the lid down and latched it. As the eye of narrative drew back from the coffin on its stand, two things happened. One happened comparatively slowly, and this was Vargo's realisation that he never recalled the coffin having a pillow before. The other was Grebo, deciding that he was as mad as hell and wasn't going to take it any more. He'd been shaken around in the wheelie thing and then sat on by Nanny 
and he was angry about that because he knew in a dim animal way that scratching Nanny might be the single most stupid thing he could do in the whole world, since no one else was prepared to feed him. This hadn't helped his temper. Then he'd encountered a dog, which had tried to lick him. He'd scratched and bitten it a few times, but this had had no effect apart from encouraging it to try to be more friendly. He'd finally found a comfy resting place and had curled up into a ball, and now someone was using him as a cushion. There wasn't a great deal of noise. The coffin rocked a few times and then pivoted around. Grebo sheathed his claws and went back to sleep. Burn with a clear, bright light. Splash, suck, splash, and I in mine. Om be praised. Squelch, splash. Oates had worked his way through most of the hymns he knew. Even the old ones you shouldn't really sing anymore, but you nevertheless remembered because the words were so good. He sang them loudly and defiantly to hold back the night and the doubts. They helped take his mind off the weight of Granny Weatherwax. It was amazing how she'd apparently gained in the last mile or so, especially when he fell over and she landed on top of him. He'd lost one of his own boots in a mire. His hat was floating in a pool somewhere. Thorns had ripped his coat to tatters. He slipped and fell once again as the mud shifted under his feet. Granny rolled off and landed in a clump of sedge. If Brother Melchio could only see him now. The wow-hawk swooped past and landed on the branch of a dead tree a few yards away. Oates hated the thing. It appeared demonic. It flew even though it surely couldn't see through the hood. Worse, whenever he thought about it, as now, the hooded head turned to fix him with an invisible stare. He took off his other useless shoe, its shiny leather all stained and cracked, and flung it, inexpertly. "'Go away, you wicked creature!' The bird didn't stir. The shoe flew past it. Then, as he tried to get to his feet, he smelled burning leather. Two wisps of smoke were curling up from either side of the hood. Oates reached to his neck for the security of the turtle, and it wasn't there. It had cost him five obols in the citadel, and it was too late now to reflect that perhaps he shouldn't have hung it from a chain worth a tenth of an obol. It was probably lying in some pool, or buried in some muddy, squelching marsh. Now the leather burned away, and the yellow glow from the holes was so bright he could barely see the outline of the bird. It turned the dank landscape into lines and shadows, put a golden edge on every tuft of grass and stricken tree, and winked out so quickly that it left Oates's eyes full of purple explosions. When he'd recovered his breath and his balance, the bird was swooping away down the moor. He picked up Granny Weatherwax's unconscious body and ran after it. The track did lead downhill, at least. Mud and bracken slipped under his feet. Rivulets were running from every hole and gully. Half the time it seemed to him that he wasn't walking, merely controlling a slide, bouncing off rocks, slithering through puddles of mud and leaves. And then there was the castle, seen through a gap in the trees, lit by a flash of lightning. Oates staggered through a clump of thorn bushes, managed to keep upright down a slope of loose boulders, and collapsed on the road with Granny Weatherwax on top of him. She stirred. Holiday from reason. Kill them all can't be having with this, she murmured. The wind blew a branch full of raindrops on her face and she opened her eyes. For a moment they seemed to Oates to have red pupils. And then the icy blue gaze focused on him. Are we here, then? Yes. What happened to your holy hat? It got lost, said Oates abruptly. Granny peered closer. Your magic amulet's gone too, she said. The one with the turtle and the little man on it. 
It's not a magic amulet, Mistress Weatherwax, please. A magic amulet is a symbol of primitive and mechanistic superstition, whereas the turtle of Om is... is... well, it's not, do you understand? All right, thank you for explaining, said Granny. Help me up, will you? Oates was having some difficulty with his temper. He'd carried the old bit, Biddy, for miles. He was frozen to the bone, and now they were here, she acted as if she'd somehow done him a favour. "'What's the magic word?' he snarled. "'Oh, I don't think a holy man like you should be having with magic words,' said Granny. "'But the holy words are, do what I tell you or get smitten. They should do the trick.' He helped her to her feet, alive with badly digested rage, and supported her as she swayed. There was a scream from the castle, suddenly cut off. "'Not female,' said Granny. "'I reckon the girls have started.' Let's give him a hand, shall we? Her arm shook as she raised it. The wowhawk fluttered down and settled on her wrist. Now, help get me to the gate. Don't mention it. Glad to be of service, Oates mumbled. He looked at the bird whose hood swivelled to face him. That's the other phoenix, isn't it? he said. Yes, said Granny, watching the door. A phoenix. You can't have just one of anything. But it looks like a little hawk. It was born among hawks, so it looks like a hawk. If it was hatched in a hen roost, it'd be a chicken. Stands to reason. And a hawk it'll remain until it needs to be a phoenix. They're shy birds. You could say a phoenix is what it may become. Too much eggshell. Yes, Mr Oates. And when does the phoenix sometimes lay two eggs? When it needs to. Hodges Arg was right. A phoenix is of the nature of birds. Bird first, myth second. The doors were hanging loose, their iron reinforcements twisted out of shape and their timbers smouldering, but some effort had been made to pull them shut. Over what remained of the arch, a bat carved in stone told visitors everything they needed to know about this place. On Granny's wrist, the hood of the hawk was crackling and smoking. As Oates watched, little flames erupted from the leather again. "'He knows what they did,' said Granny. "'He was hatched, knowing. Phoenixes share their minds, and they don't tolerate evil.' The head turned to look at Oates with its white-hot stare, and instinctively he backed away and tried to cover his eyes. "'Use the door-knocker,' said Granny, nodding to the big iron ring hanging loosely from one splintered door. "'What? You want me to knock on the door of a vampire's castle? We're not going to sneak in, are we? Anyway, you Omnians are good at knocking on doors.' "'Well, yes,' said Oates, "'but normally just for a shared prayer and to interest people in our pamphlets.' He let the knocker fall a few times, the boom echoing around the valley. Not to have my throat ripped out. Think of this as a particularly difficult street, said Granny. Try again. Maybe they're hiding behind the sofa, eh? Huh. You're a good man, Mr Oates, said Granny conversationally, as the echoes died away. Even without your holy book and holy amulet and holy hat? Um, I... I try to be, he ventured. "'Well, this is where you find out,' said Granny. "'To the fire we come at last, Mr Oates. "'This is where we both find out.'